Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. So I'd like to turn to Genesis chapter 15. Going to just read over by review here a few verses uh, 2 through 15 in Genesis 15, and then we'll be looking at the first six verses, skip to the first six verses of the next chapter, chapter 16. And we'll look at those. So let's uh, first of all look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being our teaching God. Thank you for being patient with each one of us as we are slow learners, Lord, slow to hear, slow to respond, slow to incorporate. Lord, but we pray that you would help us this morning as we look to you for our great needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Genesis chapter 15, beginning verse 2. And Abram said, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? And the steward of my house is this Eliezer of Damascus, And Abram said, Behold, to me thou hast given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is mine heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir, but he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars if thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. And he said unto him, I am the Lord that brought thee out of Ur of the Chaldees to give thee this land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And he said unto him, take me and heifer of three years old and a she-goat of three years old and a ram of three years old and a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he took unto him all these and divided them in the midst and laid each piece one against another. But the birds divided he not. And when the fowls came down upon the carcasses, Abram drove them away. And when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and lo, and horror of great darkness fell upon him. And he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. And also that nation whom they shall serve will I judge, and afterward they shall come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Now if you skip now to the next chapter 16, verse 1. Chapter 16, verse 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children. And she had an handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go into my maid, that it may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt 10 years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maiden to thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. The Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee, or as good in thine eyes. 
in their eyes. And when Sarai dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. All right, now that's quite a passage. Now, we saw in our last study, the beginning from verse 9 through to the end of chapter 15, what we saw last week was the covenant ceremony. We saw that. And it began with God saying, take me a heifer. And we saw in that covenant ceremony that the sacrifices were required and they were divided, they were cut up. It was a very bloody scene. And it was the way in which each promising party, in this case there was only one promising party, that was God, but each one normally would walk through the pieces of these cut up uh, pieces of animals there as if to say, if I don't do what I promise to do in this covenant, may I become like these cut up animals. So that's what God was saying. And so he was calling for this covenant ceremony, which was common in those days, and he started off by saying these words, take me and heifer. Now, when God says, take me and heifer, take me a sacrifice, that's a solemn reminder to us of Leviticus 17, 11, where the Lord explained that the life of the flesh was in the blood, that he gave it to them on the altar, and he says to make an atonement for the souls, and he reiterated it by saying, it's a blood that makes an atonement for the soul. The blood makes an atonement for the soul. So to hear God say in verse 9, take me and heifer, it reminds us of the first sin with Adam and Eve and when God took the animal, killed the animal, and dressed them, covered them, covered Adam and Eve, and that was the first sacrifice. But there we can hear God saying, take me an animal. He took the animal and, and killed it. So it reminds us of 1 John 4.10 where it says, herein is love. Not that we loved God. In other words, he's explaining here, this real love is not our love to God, but his love to us, which was he sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. See, there again, see, in 1 John 4.10, we can hear God saying, take me in heifer, take me a sacrifice. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. That's what propitiation means, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Now, we saw in our last study how in verse 11, when Abraham had done what he was required to do for the covenant ceremony, how then the birds came, the ravens, the birds of prey came down. And that was a great temptation for Abram to leave God and to go get very involved in getting rid of these birds. But he drove them away. He did what was necessary there. And I told you how the application in my life was that the IRS was not giving us the 501c3 status for Israel restoration, and so we hired an attorney. So that was my way of driving the ravens away. (laughs) They may not appreciate being called that, but that's anyway. But it was a temptation for me to get overly involved in that distraction. Well, I'm glad to report to you that last Thursday we received notice from the Department of Treasury that our status of 513 was granted for Israel restoration. So, and some of you prayed, so thank you very much. (laughs) All right, now, in verse 12, we saw how Abram fell into a deep sleep. And it says it was a nightmare and says, 
that something fell upon him which was described as a horror of great darkness. This was very disturbing. He saw, although it wasn't identified for him that this was the land of Egypt, nevertheless, he saw his people would be in a slavery for 400 years and it wouldn't be a pleasant uh, situation. It was going to be a cruel slavery for 400 years. And then he saw how God was going to judge the enslaving country, which we know, of course, is Egypt, and how his people, the Jewish people, would come out of their slavery with great wealth given to them by God. And then we saw, but this was for Abraham, a horror of great darkness, very disturbing for Abraham. And so then God comforts Abraham with assuring words in verse 15, where he says, and thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. And then he says, you'll be buried in a good old age. So he's talking about death. And he says, you will go to your fathers in peace. Now, when God said to Abraham that he would go to his fathers in peace, have you ever thought about who God was speaking about? Who were those fathers that God was referring to when he told Abraham that he was going to go to them when he died? I mean, who were those people? Who were those fathers? I mean, Abraham was told by God that he was to leave his fathers, that he was to leave his kindred, he was to leave his, the people there, he was to leave the country of Ur of the Chaldees. So the natural question, if God told Abraham, you leave your fathers, so to speak, but when you die, you're going to be gathered to your fathers, who's God talking about? Because Abraham's father, Terah, he came with Abraham out on the way to Canaan, but he died in Haran, we're told that. And the Lord Jesus Christ made it very clear that as far as Abraham's destiny after death, he made it very clear that there were two destinies for man, one with Abraham, one without Abraham. He said that in Matthew 8, verse 11 through 12, where he put it this way, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But, he said, the children of the kingdom shall be cast out. In other words, they won't sit down with Abraham. Into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So let's just imagine for a minute, Abraham hears God saying there, he says, you will be gathered to your fathers in peace. And so we can see that Abraham would sit there and he'd wonder, God just said, I'm going to be gathered to my fathers, my fathers in peace. So what does Abraham do? He doesn't anybody to do. He sits down and he thinks, well, let's see now, who are my fathers? So he thinks back and he thinks back to Arphaxad. And that was Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather, and then the next one, who is the father of Salah, and that was Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather, and he was the father of Eber, and then there were four, you know, Abraham's great, 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 great grandfather, and he was the father of Peleg, who was Abraham's great, great, great grandfather, who was the father of Ru, who was Abraham's great, great grandfather, who was the father of Sarag, who was Abraham's great grandfather, who was the father of Nahor, who was Abraham's grandfather, who was the father of Terah, Abraham's father. So as Abraham thinks back over his his own lineage, over thy fathers, over his fathers, where God said, you'll go to your fathers, Abraham looks back over eight generations of his fathers, 
and over those eight generations of his fathers, for eight generations, as he looks back, there's not one indication that any of Abraham's fathers were a follower of God. Those ones I just mentioned, they were all godless from what we can see. For eight generations, there's not one indication in Abraham's fathers of any of them calling on the name of the Lord, which there were for others. There's no indication of prayer. For eight generations, there's not one indication of any of Abraham's fathers building an altar to God, sacrificing to God, honoring God, none of that. For eight generations, Abraham looks back and he sees godless, 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 living for themselves, not following God. That's what he sees when he looks back over his fathers and he's trying to figure out who is God talking about that I'm gonna go to after I die. Because Abraham did not come from a godly home. Abraham was not brought up in a home that feared God, that called on the name of the Lord. As a matter of fact, tradition says that his father, Terah, was actually an idol maker by profession. So in verse 15, when Abraham hears God refer to to what's gonna happen to him after he dies, and he says, thou shalt go to thy fathers, Abraham knew that God could not be talking about his literal fathers, because for eight generations, there's none that cared about God. God. So those fathers that Abraham was going to were after he died were not his literal family. And that's just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said when he was teaching his disciples, there was that scene, very dramatic scene. Lots of drama in this scene. He's teaching his disciple. He's really intense into it. His followers there. And all of a sudden it's announced to him, his mother and his brothers are outside, and they want to speak to him. And now there's this conflict. Does he leave his disciples? Oh, my mother and brothers. Well, you know, priority number one, family. So what is explained to us in Matthew 12, 46? It says, while he yet talked to the people, that'd be his disciples, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who's my mother? Who's my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands toward his disciples and said, Behold, my brethren. And for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and sister and mother. Now, this is not putting down Mary, you know, the mother of the Lord. But this is, he's explaining here this new thing. And he used the situation at hand when it was the, all of a sudden, his mother and his brothers are standing outside wanting to talk to him. And he's teaching, and should he stop? And the pressure is on him for him to say, my own family, more important than my followers. And so he, he uses that. Who's my mother? Who's my brethren? And he sweeps his hands over his disciples and said, here they are. Here's my mother and brother. So what is he doing there? Now, obviously, his disciples were not his literal family. They weren't related to him. But we can just see Abraham in that scene with the same thing. He's looking over his eight generations who were not doing the will of God. And we can see Abraham come to understand, God is not referring to my literal fathers when he said, after I die, I'm going to go to my fathers. Abraham comes to the conclusion, my fathers are those that do the will of God. That's my father's. And so who does he think back on when Abraham hears God say, you will go to your father's? He thinks back on his father's as Adam 
as Abel, as Seth, as Enoch, as the father of Noah, Lamech, as Noah. Those are his fathers. And then we can picture Abraham say, these are my fathers. These are my fathers. I'm going to these, my fathers. And Abraham say, when I became a follower of God, I got a new set of fathers who also followed God. Those are my fathers. And when God says I'm going to them, those are my fathers. That's who he's referring to us. Now, some of us were raised in a Christian home. God bless you. With parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents who followed the Lord Jesus Christ. But some of us, like myself, were just like Abraham. We didn't come from a God-fearing home. We didn't come from, there's no way I can find no one in my family that has received the Lord Jesus Christ. Maybe the same for you. Maybe as you look back the same way. No one in my family is a believer in Jehovah Jesus. And to you and me, if you're in that boat, and Abraham, we followed the Lord Jesus Christ. We followed Jehovah Jesus. God said to us, you got a new family. You have a new set of fathers, and you're going to be with your new family in heaven. I did have one, my aunt. I call her my aunt because I want to uh, inaugurate her more into the family. She's actually my aunt-in-law, Aunt Jane. And so she received the Lord Jesus Christ, but then the 30 days after she did, she died. It's very inconsiderate of her, but uh, <laughs> that's what happened, you know. Anyway, she's with the Lord. It's better. That's right. So we come now to chapter 16. And in chapter 16, the Bible is great in how it says things. Not just what it says, but how it says it. And verse 16 says, Now Sarah, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian whose name was Hagar. So this gets right to the point. This is the beginning of a terrible history in Abraham's life, in the life of Abraham and Sarah, husband and wife. And it all came because of a failure for Sarah to recognize who she was. The history starts out. Sarah's most important title is given in verse 1. She's Abraham's wife. That's her her, her, her high calling, her, she's the wife of Abraham. And if Sarah would have recognized that, then we wouldn't have what's going to follow for here after this, in this history. And if Abraham would have recognized that Sarah was his only wife, then we wouldn't have this terrible history. But Sarah introducing here to Abraham another woman, another wife, Hagar, she was violating her God-given position as Abraham's wife. And the guiding words of the Lord Jesus Christ in Matthew 19, when the Pharisees came to him and they tempted him and they said, okay, is it lawful for to put away his wife for every cause, any cause? And so he answered and said unto them, have you not read that he which at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the twain shall be one flesh, wherefore there are no more twain but one flesh. The emphasis on the oneness there. What therefore God hath joined together Together, let not man put asunder. They say unto him, Why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? He saith unto him, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. 
probably prevented murder, I guess. Anyway, but from the beginning, it was not so. See, those are the guiding words. From the beginning, it was not so. It was not so from the beginning. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her that is put away, doth commit adultery. Another woman in Abraham's wife, other than Sarah. From the beginning, it was not so. It was not meant by God, God's plan. One man married to one woman till death do them part, not till divorce do them part. Now, verse one. All right, in order for us to understand how this happened, we need to really see the pressure that Sarah is under. Back in Genesis eleven twenty nine through 30, when Sarah was first introduced to us, it says, and Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarah, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, the father of Iscah. But Sarah was barren. She had no child. So right off the bat here, we see that she's introduced all the way back. First time she comes on the scene in Genesis 11, she's introduced as the barren wife. She has no child. So this is a pressure that's on Sarah. It's a lot of pressure on Sarah and Abraham. And we saw already, as we read in in Genesis 15 too, where when Abram goes to God, the pressure is almost unbearable. And he says, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless and the steward of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Sarah was a beautiful woman. We can imagine how beautiful she was, and it wasn't just anybody's opinion. There were a lot of people who thought she was just absolutely drop-dead gorgeous. And Sarah obeyed Abraham. When he told her to lie about her being his sister in Egypt, she did it. And Sarah went along with Abraham when he left, and that meant that they both were leaving their families and their kindred and their people in their country. And we never have seen Sarah arguing with Abraham over his decisions, uh, pretty drastic decisions here, to follow God. But here Sarah is under tremendous pressure to produce a son, and she could not, and she has not, and for all intents and purposes, it looks like she will not. And this just brought a tremendous stigma and sorrow to this household. And it was a temptation for both Abraham and Sarah. Sarah was aware of how Abraham also struggled with the fact that they were childless, as she knew that he had said to God, Lord God, what wilt thou give me, seeing I go childless? She was aware of God's answer to Abraham in chapter 15, verse 4, where it says, the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, this shall not be thine heir. So in other words, Abraham's eyes are on Eliezer, and God says, take your eyes off of Eliezer, because he's not the heir. It's going to be someone who's going to come forth out of thine own bowels. He'll be thine heir. She was aware of Abraham's response to God, that great response where he said, I believe in you. Abraham said to God, I believe in you. He didn't say, I believe what you're saying. He believed what he was saying, of course, because he believed in God. He believed not that how it was going to happen, but he believed in God. He had his faith and confidence in God. And if God said he was going to have a son, then he believed that because he believed in the Lord. And God counted that to him for righteousness. She was aware of all this. She was aware of how Abraham had asked God for a confirmation when he said, Lord, whereby shall I know that I shall inherit it? And she was aware of how God went through the covenant ceremony, as we talked about, to give Abraham this assurance to cut up pieces of the animals 
and walking through it. She knew that Abraham had saw that it was God alone as the smoking furnace and the burning lamp that passed between the pieces, him alone, because this was just his part. He was the only one who had to fulfill this promise. It was all up to him. She was aware of all that, Sarah was, but she was also aware in verse 1 of what it says, that she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And when we read verse 1, we see clearly Sarah, under the pressure of it all, standing at the crossroads of choice, which we've seen before. We see it all throughout the Bible. You see people standing at the crossroads of choice, and Sarah is standing at the crossroads of choice, and she looks down one road, and she sees that labeled Sarah, Abram's wife, as it says in verse 1 there. And then the next road, she sees this one totally different. She sees this one labeled, she has a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, And you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at Tom Cantor, that's T O M C A N T O R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. You're invited to Christmas Under the Stars at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California, Saturday, December 12th from 5 p.m. to 9 p.m. Activities for the entire family, including a live nativity, caroling candlelit museum tours, ornament making, cookie decorating, star exploration, and a special Star of Bethlehem message by guest Paul Taylor. Join us for this family-free Christmas event at the Creation Museum, 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org. Looking for an exciting career in the medical field or biotech industry? Join Scanabody's Biologics, founded by a Christian businessman, Tom Cantor. It's a premier company dedicated to advancing patient care and serving the community of San Diego. Scanabody's has global operations and over 700 employees and growing. And if you have a heart for people and a desire to join a leading biotech company, call us 619-258-9300, 619-258-9300, scanabodies.com, that's scanabodies.com.